0: Welcome to School of Movies. (laughs) The Good Dinosaur. I think we went far enough today. Let's get you home. Protected you. What is his name? I don't know. I name him, I keep him. Killer.
1: Uh, Sticky! Violet. SMITE! LUTIC! Spot. SPOT! Come here, Spot. Come here!
0: And if you didn't have a flipping clue what was going on in that trailer, that's because it's not very good at conveying what goes on in the movie. So listen on and we shall explore together. This film came out in November 2015, a scant five months after Inside Out, which is our favourite Pixar film and arguably one of their very best. The Good Dinosaur is our least favourite Pixar film and arguably one of their very worst, which makes this close proximity to greatness even more baffling. It's also not too far off Coco, which is again one of their absolute very best. Now, we're going to explain ourselves because we know that statistically speaking, three of you love this film, seven of you like it, and for one of you, it is the very best that Pixar have ever produced. But I went looking for analysis of this on YouTube, and while there are a million think pieces on every Marvel and Star Wars film and most of the popular Disneys, the only ones I could find about The Good Dinosaur were everything wrong with The Good Dinosaur by the blight on filmmaking that is Cinema Sins, and conversely, everything right with The Good Dinosaur. Uh, Watching one than the other is, I consider, antithetical to critical thinking because one is unmitigated, cheery positivity put out purely to counteract the other, which is derisive, knee-jerk, heckling, doled out by cynical and emotionally bereft, not to mention lazy, idiots who hate film and who have irreparably damaged a portion of at least one generation's ability to read stories, as I've said in the past. In other words, we need to give this one the School of Movies treatment. The Good Dinosaur was produced in a relatively short space of time with a faster turnover than usual for the studio. It was conceived by director Peter Son, who previously worked on The Iron Giant and was the basis for the character of Russell in Up. Peter wanted this to be a big sky western, like the John Ford films, and the visual approach was of replicating the American landscape in the low humidity of Wyoming, where you really can see for miles and miles. There are problems with making a dinosaur western, and we will discuss them in a minute, but suffice to say, everyone on this team is the customary Pixar blend of talented, enthusiastic, and creative. And to many, they will have succeeded. This has a Rotten Tomato score of 77%, which indicates that critics found something worth praising, hopefully beyond the frequently stunning visuals. However... To us, they failed, and it is worth exploring why, because this is one of the most mismanaged Disney stories since The Black Cauldron, or Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Not just bland, forgettable, and pointless pablum in the manner of Disney's 2000 film Dinosaur, heretofore known as the Worst Dinosaur, but alarming, disturbing, and unsettling when they were clearly aiming for a balance between light and dark, akin to Finding Nemo. It is not loathsome or cheap like Chicken Little. It is not broad and dumb like Cars 2. They really are trying to do something here. It's just that what they do is translated poorly for us, personally. We get it. We get what they were after. But now we're going to explain how this comes across to Sharon and I. So we'll begin with the premise. We're going to treat this as though most people listening haven't actually seen The Good Dinosaur, because statistically speaking... Most of you probably won't. It, it got bad press for from a lot of people. Like seventy seven percent is low for a Pixar, and it would have caused a lot of people to just go, you know, I'll skip it. We skipped it up till now. We didn't want to invest money in feeling bad about Pixar. But all of this dinosaur talk, since we just uh, put out the review for, uh, on the original 2000 dinosaur, got people going, ah, it's better than the good dinosaur. So we are like, we've kind of got to watch it. So the premise is that 65 million years ago, uh, when a uh, meteorite would have hit the Earth, that would have wiped out the dinosaurs, it doesn't, uh, which leads to the dinosaurs carrying on up the evolutionary ladder. And then when we rejoin them, millions and millions of years later... Uh, they are somewhat evolved, question mark
2: they have evolved mentally and strategically, given that they have embraced the agrarian lifestyle.
0: yeah, we're about um, to get onto that, yeah, um, culturally speaking, they're behaving kind of like. Like beyond cavemen. Oh, at this well stage. beyond.
2: Well beyond. We're, we're t- like massively into Bronze Age humans mm. by this point. Um, they, in, don't in clothes, itchy, they, they don't wear clothes, though. Um, they don't wear clothes. They have developed no opposable thumbs. Yeah.
0: They do everything with their mouths. Uh,
2: they do, yeah, they do everything with their mouths. And um, they have built themselves... I mean, they are stables, effectively. They're not like flintstone houses with multiple rooms and and um, beds, etc. There
0: is a bit of flintstones um, in this.
2: But, um, but there's, there are things going on on this little farmstead which are really threw up questions for me from the word go. And and suspension of disbelief aside...
0: Oh, it's endemic to every Pixar film. The first film ever was like, imagine if your toys were real. And then it's like, well, that does...
2: Yeah, no, no, no.
0: There I, are some questions there. I
2: completely there. understand that. But then immediately there are things that violate the logic of this movie. And just for the record, by the way, I didn't know that the premise was that the, the meteor misses the earth and so the dinosaurs carry on. I just thought that was a a meteorite that hmm. didn't necessarily mean anything in particular. And I didn't get that this was supposed to be an alternative Earth until quite further down the line. Whoa. So it was just like, okay, these are dinosaurs on the planet with humans. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, the, the first thing that grabbed me almost immediately, so they have these woven baskets that they're collecting their crops in. And they have a fence around their little chicken coop area. And all of these things are joined together with knots. Little knots. With little pieces of of hessian or straw or something that they have wound around, strips of wood. hemp rope. And tied together with their non-opposable thumbs.
0: With their giant, flat-toothed herbivorous mouths.
2: Cherry stalks notwithstanding, you cannot tie a knot. With a mouth. <laughs> not without at least one hand to hold the other end. It's not happening. And I couldn't get past that. This whole entire first scene where all of this emotional setup is supposed to be taking place, mm. all I could think of was who the fuck is tying their knots. And more to the point, why are they keeping chickens? They're herbivores.
0: There is that. I projected back to watching Cars and thought to myself, why did that not bother me? Like, when, when I said, you know, I am speed, and then he drives out and he's racing on the track, and it's car racing, only instead of having drivers, the cars are cars, And I think it's possibly just that Transformers primed me for it. It was like, you know what, cars that are alive? I've seen cars that are alive and talking.
2: But cars is mostly consistent with the internal logic of its own universe. (laughs) There are things that don't make sense when you work them out. Like, why do they have wing mirrors? Their eyes are in the windscreen. They can't possibly see in the wing mirrors. They're totally pointless.
0: There's things that they press with their big... Tires that are like you know press this with your hand mm. buttons, but then they they are located inside workshops with with things that have tools that can only be manipulated by a human hand. And get the fuck out of here with all of your, uh, you know. Ah, well, this is because the cars have evolved and they are the dominant life form. If that was the case, everything would be rusted as shit. But, everything left behind by humans would be rusty.
2: But that's the thing: cars d- drops you into the middle of this world and just says, "This, this is car, it. it's a world you of cars." You buy into it or you don't. It doesn't set you up with a "this is how this came about." You don't have a scene where Kit escapes from yeah. David Knight and goes, "I'm off to start my own casino with blackjack and hookers."
0: I, I, I'm like Finding Nemo: the fish talk and go to school. Like, why does that this not bother us? But the dinosaur fish talk bothers and us. go
2: to school, but they don't have iPods they don't have things that they can't possibly manipulate with their little
0: fish. The whales things. have iPods.
2: Oh very good. Yeah. Uh.
0: Well. Anyway. Um, the <laughs> I'm sorry. Effectively. In gone. a bug's life, like this. flick makes gadgets out yeah, of grass. Okay,
2: but but fundamentally. It's
0: not a crime. What all but it bothers means, the hell out of me.
2: It's not a crime, but it means that all of the emotional beats in this first section of the movie are not hitting because our brains are not engaged and caught up with the characters and scenario they are obsessing over who is tying their knots
0: well for a start the dad is like like plowing the field with his face and it just made me think no, that's a lovely gorgeous like you know uh, a cartoon green dinosaur with a sort of a stylized flat nose and it's on what appears to be photorealistic backgrounds. I was checking through Wikipedia to see if they'd done the same as they did with Disney's dinosaur and actually just photographed Wyoming and then just lay the dinosaurs on top. Because the two don't match. You got green, luscious looking cartoon candy dinosaurs mm-hmm. on ploughing earth and corn and, and very realistic water.
2: The backgrounds are amazing. Oh, the animation yeah. on the the backgrounds is phenomenal. It looks sensational the whole way through.
0: But but the dinosaurs themselves look like gummy sweets. Um,
2: there is actually a kind of dinosaur that has like a, a bladed thing on the top of its head that mm-hmm. would actually be perfect for ploughing.
0: Yeah, but then you're into the it's a living Flintstones <laughs> again,
2: and that doesn't work unless you have humans to tell them what to do.
0: I, I thought originally that they, these dinosaurs had seen agrarian humans and were like, well, we could do that, and then started th- their own fields. Like maybe that they maybe that they were working. In conjunction with humans, and I thought that the end result of this is going to be because the good dinosaur, if you remember that the the original um, that the symbol for it is like a handprint with a dinosaur in it, and it's, it suggests that dinosaurs and humans work together. Yeah. So I was like, right, here is the unbalanced world where dinosaurs work on their own and consider humans to be critters because the humans are basically dog-like creatures in this world, and by the end. They will be working together and both of their lives will have been improved as a result of this unity. I thought that makes sense. That's what we're leading towards. Now, it is not my fault that I made that that assumption. It is not Pixar's fault that that assumption was dead wrong. But it was. So, yeah, they're carving out a frontier existence. What we are effectively given is a nuclear family in 19th century American Wyoming. It is, if anything, a dinosaur river runs through it. You know, they've built themselves a house out of rocks. They're plowing a field that they've made for themselves. They, they own these small acres, and they are storing corn for the winter. She's, she's got her head up like that. She's, she's going to hand to her head. Is that because corn rots and actually won't keep through the no, winter? No, no,
2: no, no. That that's sort of fine. They've got their silo stood up. Yeah, on they built legs, a big, great big which
0: vertical grain silo. Is
2: is right? You keep it off the ground, and then it doesn't get. There's wet.
0: no mortar though, so these Excellent. stones are all balanced against each other. You pull out one load-bearing stone, the whole thing might go down. They don't have this mortar. Is true.
2: But what they're growing, what they're growing here, is is farmed corn. Corn of the cop. Yeah, yeah. That's not a natural thing that grew wild.
0: That That had to be engineered. That
2: well well, it didn't it wasn't engineered, but it was bred.
0: Cultivated. It was
2: cultivated. This sounds like we're
0: nitpicking, but like they're presenting you with this at the beginning and saying don't ask questions. But I could like the reason we asked questions was because it was so boring. The, like, had reason. it been engaging from moment one, we wouldn't be asking, why are they growing corn? We'd be like, okay, but the, the dialogue's so great, it's Pixar, we completely ignored the rest of the stuff. The way that, you know, no one goes, why did Buzz freeze and pretend to be a toy when Andy picked him up when he's not under the impression that he's a toy? And they do have control over that because Woody unfreezes and talks to Sid. You don't notice that stuff, at least not while you're watching it, because it's Toy Story.
2: One of the reasons why I'm kind of seizing on a lot of these things that make absolutely zero sense, if this is a family of dinosaurs, and more to the point, they, they seem to be the only dinosaurs of their species in the area, which means that...
0: Apatosaurs, by the way.
2: Where's Apatosaurs? Thank you. But,
0: Who, by the way, died out of, 25 million years before, before T-Rexes.
2: Oh, so before the so they meteorite liter- hit then.
0: Yeah, so, well, um, to that I can only say. But,
2: but the point being that there's, you know, no evolution has gone on here. There's not loads of dinosaurs in the area farming the land. There's acres beyond this flat
0: A very wild area land. Yeah. where
2: they've grown, they've created... There's no dinosaur society. They're weird afar. dinosaurs. Their field is very square considering that they've got no tools or anything like that. They're doing it all by eye. But they've got wild land out there to just go and forage in, which is what dinosaurs are meant to do. Don't, don't reason... go
0: foraging. Stay on the farm. The Stay reason... on the farm. The that reason... is the secret Shush. of the good dinosaur. Stay the on the farm. The reason
2: that I keep coming back to this is because there is another story in this that made way more sense. And I spent about two-thirds of this film baffled why they didn't do that instead. And that is that of a, uh, a human family at the turn of moving from uh, a hunter-gatherer existence to an agrarian existence. And by all means, bring dinosaurs in if you have to. But small boy gets separated from family, finds animal of some kind, wolf, cub, dinosaur,
0: well, it's got to be. A, if, you, if you've got dinosaurs living alongside humans, you have to legitimise that by having okay. a dinosaur. So,
2: so make Spot a dinosaur. But it made no sense to me that the family were dinosaurs and Spot was a human. And I just kept staring at it going, my brain does not compute. It's meant to be the other way around.
0: And obviously that's the point. But, but, but in that's... a better told story, we wouldn't be questioning that.
2: Well, yeah. But that's the thing. There are so many artificial sticks that are in the way of this story you want to tell because you decided to do it with dinosaurs finding a human rather than the other way around. You made things needlessly more complex for yourselves.
0: So there's these two apatosaurs, Henry and Ida, the mum and the dad, and they have three eggs, and then the eggs hatch and their children come out, and they're basically puppies... Like, specifically Arlo, the third one that comes out is the runt of the letter. He's very scared of everything. There's one very rambunctious one. There's, there's another very, like, bubbly girl. And The uh, fact
2: that Libby was not born with a pink bow on her ear was astounding.
0: Yeah, it's like she's adorable. But, like, so it, they they make no distinction between the fact that Arlo here is a puppy and he, him being a child. And the parents are like, oh, you're just a cute little thing. And you, you come out of there. And I don't necessarily need there to be mucus in my eggs. But these are very, very cute dinosaurs. But they go out of their way to make Arlo a puppy. And then he, later he grows into a boy that's shaped like a dinosaur and meets a puppy. Do, do you see how there's a, a weird disparity here?
2: Mm, yeah. And the, the fact that it's all packaged as they, are, they come out of the eggs with these specific personalities. And everything from here on in is like preset.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There's no change or, or development in any of the kids. They become 11, 12, 13-year-old versions of who they were as They're
0: all 11, hatchlings. yes. Of course, yeah.
2: I don't know why I think of Buck and Libby as being older, but...
0: They were a few seconds older. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) But uh, they they appear to be his older sisters and brother because uh, they they are, are of larger stature. And the point is that our hero, Arlo, is small and weak and frightened and uh, that's an unusual decision for a hero for a Disney film, and we'll come back to that repeatedly in a second.
2: And he's a disappointment to his father. Uh,
0: he's not that. He's not crushing disappointment. His father's not like Kerchak. His father's just like, oh, that's just Arlo.
2: But he was expecting a big boy.
0: Yeah. And like you said, they have chickens. They have a giant enclosure of these, like, chicken-like beasts. They go... And and Arlo's scared of them and tries to feed them corn, but then they chase him around. And then they chase him all over the place and he's like, oh, that's Arlo. So while everyone else is working, Arlo's running away from the chickens and is scared. But as you said, why have they got chickens? They don't eat meat.
2: They don't eat eggs. All they eat is corn.
0: They don't even use feathers for their decorations or anything.
2: The chickens are literally there to consume the corn that they themselves need to eat.
0: They are eating machines and they give them nothing. And they're there to make it feel more like a farm that humans would be on. And it makes sense if they eat the chicken's eggs. But But they don't. They don't. (laughs) That never happens. No. So it's another one of those, it would be a great idea. Okay, so, but think about it. No, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And that appears to be the modus operandi for the creative decisions of the entire film. It would be a great fun idea if we did this and then no questions were asked about the validity of the doing of the this. Mm,
2: and most of the ideas that they've that they've come up with to then work their way backwards from seem to be almost entirely governed by a visual aesthetic. So they've they got a very strong image of a particular thing that they decided had to be in the film and then they had to craft an entire scene to accommodate that. Or just a vague idea mm. that then had to be fleshed out and in the final analysis... Was not. One th- comment about the chickens, by the way, and this is the same thing for every animal in this which is an animal and not doesn't carry any semblance of intelligence within it. Mm-hmm. They have huge black eyes like the porgs in... Um...
0: Like a doll's eyes. Yes. Last Jedi. Last
2: Jedi, thank you. And that is how you seem to tell the difference in this between an animal which is sentient and an animal which is basically not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Henry, it's, it's first off, it's weird that the dinosaur's named Henry. Like, the the son being named Arlo, that's not a, a common name. But, like, yeah, at the end, the mum says Henry. And it's like, oh, God, the dad is named Henry. And it just seemed weird that we've been going around this prehistoric landscape where people should be called, like, Fang and, and, and Borak or something like that. they just, like, made-up caveman names. But one of them's Henry. It's a very Western frontier name, and they're really pushing this Western frontier story. So Henry tells Arlo, you know, make your mark, which made me think of parenthood immediately. And, you know, he's like, you've got to do something bigger than yourself, which is very difficult if the whole point is to stay on the farm, never leave the farm, always be on the farm.
2: And it it appears that the only people in the world are you and your family.
0: Yeah, which is, like... When they get a bit older, what what exactly... Just how are they... No, she's shaking her head.
2: inconsistent universe. Yep. This species of dinosaur is going to be extinct within a few years.
0: Yep. They tell... There are enough Pixar films out there now that they can tell different stories for different people. Obviously, with things like Ratatouille, it is for the tortured artist, the someone who wants to create badly wants to create, but was raised in an environment where creativity was not prized and, in fact, was admonished, was, in fact, despised by uh, your family, your peer group. You are not the sort of person who should be doing what you're really excellent at. That's why we love Ratatouille. So there is no real reason why they shouldn't make a story for farmers and say, farming is good, you should farm, farm good. Whenever Disney touch on farms, bad things happen. Remember Home on the Range? They can't do farm stories. Home
2: on the Range was what I kept thinking of throughout this whole thing because of the score. I've I've seen people say, oh, the score for this is magnificent. It just made me think of Roseanne the Cow.
0: Roseanne the Racist Cow. Um, Yeah, it's got the sort of lovely, um, like, lots of fiddles and twanging and, and, and it feels, like I say, frontier living, but... Like you can hear the finger work in the fiddles, and you're like, this doesn't make sense because there are no fingers in this world. No,
2: this is true. And if you're going to do a hero's journey, which it effectively is, he goes off. He has to. There is the do rough semblance of one. Back, yeah. Yeah. You need something more to push him out of the door, other than that he fell off a cliff.
0: Yeah. Other times, Disney dallied with farms, and it didn't turn out fantastic. The Fox and Hound, Chicken Little songs of the south the only time it's actually kind of worked out is Pixar's Bugs Life which is about a farming village oppressed by greedy grasshoppers and Kevin Spacey Ugh. <clears throat> so moving forwards, yeah the dad says make your mark Arlo is a coward Arlo is frightened of everything and this is fun to begin with and he sort of runs away a lot but then it begins to grate on you and they said in the commentary that they went out of their way they were like well we can't just make him a coward we have to add little subtle touches that um, make him endearing and whatever those subtle touches were they didn't work mm-hmm. because he is what well, he is the most annoying Disney hero I have ever seen aside from maybe Chicken Little who by the way was a coward.
2: Yeah, I I can see and I could see from how Lyra was reacting to this when we were watching it. It's not that she massively connected with Arlo by any means, but she certainly had way more appreciation for the idea of a hero or a central protagonist who is actually terrified of everything and needs to find a way to get through that and not be terrified anymore.
0: She's had her own issues with fear.
2: Yeah, and I can respect that she had that connection with it and, and it would be worthwhile for that reason. But we will come shortly to a discussion of the tone issues in this film, which mean if you are aiming it squarely at the very young child market, boy howdy you fucked up.
0: You can have a very frightened hero, but there's got to be more to him. Like, uh, if if he's conflicted between... Like, with Bilbo Baggins, Bilbo is a frightened character, but he also wants adventure, so that's an excellent, like, sort of push-pull of someone who can feel two things very strongly at once. Arlo doesn't feel two things very strongly at once. He just feels fear, 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 and then uh, almost immediately, regret. Deep, deep regret, which is twinned with fear. And there's also some anger in there as well. Mm-hmm. That's not a great character for us to get our... our, our well, teeth
2: All the Hobbits are characters that are built on fear, but as you say, they have layers of other things in there as well. Yeah. Sam is afraid of everything, but his loyalty to Frodo outweighs it. Frodo is not afraid of everything, but he is afraid of the big wide world, but he also feels totally isolated in his mm. own world.
0: I would say that uh, uh, you can make a character that is afraid all the time and have that character appeal to children, but you're going to have a real struggle trying to make that character appeal to adults. Mm. Because adults have had to conquer their fear time and time again. The best you could possibly get would be to have adults recognise the fear in their own children in this character, and that's that's the adults who've, who've got children, maybe younger brothers or sisters, but... Your difficulty there is, if the character is on his own, and he is uh, most of the time or with a mute character, you don't have that parental figure who has to then marshal this fearful character. Mm. You don't have that interplay between a character who is brave and a character who is fearful.
2: Mm. And also because his entire family are composed of one dimension for all four of them... Mm there's no relating that puts that fear into relief or, or shows you how that fear has been exacerbated by having a family which is loud and boisterous and stomps all over him or um or that their support for him is is minimal and doesn't give him the encouragement that he needs to work past it
0: also you can understand if he was fearful of legitimate things like in the crudes uh, which by the way is a fantastic alternate version of this, dealing with Cro-Magnons and uh, Neanderthals. Grug always tells bedtime stories that seem to centrally revolve around fear being a good thing. Fear stops you from doing the bad thing and being anywhere near the dangerous thing. If they were in a hunter-gatherer lifestyle or uh, one where they were terrified of predators all the time, that fear, from Arlo's perspective, is actually kind of valid. But because they live on a farm where everything's peaceful all the time and he's surrounded by people who are not the least bit fearful because there's nothing scary at all, Then the only thing that he can legitimately be scared of is weather, which obviously is something that would make farmers afraid anyway, because it can ruin your crops and wreck your livelihood and in fact destroy your whole house, especially if you live in Tornado Alley. Mm. It, It just seems like it is an irrational fear that in fact leads him and his father to fatal consequences because... Uh, they First off, they set a trap for uh, something, some kind of critter that's been uh, scavenging for food. And uh, that critter gets trapped. And it's a a boy that we've already mentioned is a little cave boy who is feral and behaves like a dog, which goes back to the thing that Daniel Floyd mentioned. It's It's always appealing for kids to have a thing that isn't a dog but thinks it's a dog. And you'd better really like that gag for this movie because uh, this character is a major character the whole way through and is a dog... 96% 96% of the time.
2: But because it's a human that thinks it's a dog, I found myself watching him thinking, I really wish he'd do something else.
0: Yeah. So uh, Arlo has been instructed that when the thing gets trapped, he has to then smash its head open with a spiked stick. And yes. Arlo's holding this thing in his mouth, and you get a real sense of weight with it. And so he's, like, walking towards this small boy. they
2: demonstrated what he's going to do with it. With a pumpkin. His dad hits a pumpkin with it. Yeah.
0: And... I don't think they get that when you visually show the smashing of a pumpkin with a spiked stick and then you show that weighty spiked stick and the, the, the general weight of it and the physical movement of it and you show a vulnerable child, that in the heads of the children watching, whether they can see it or not, they will imagine it. That is some dark shit. That is irresponsible filmmaking and there's quite a few bits like that in the film. Like, you can... Imply subtly that allows, in a way that allows adults to go, geez, like n- not map it out in the in the minds of children, t- taking them to like nine tenths of the way there. That is irresponsible filmmaking. I'm not saying, oh, someone please think of the children. I'm saying, go ahead, do it. If you if you really want to go that dark, do it. But you have to understand, people aren't going to like your movie. Children are going to start crying, and they won't know why, and their parents won't know why either. And I'm not like, oh you're gonna scar our children. I'm just like, fill your boots. You wanna kill the dad? Kill the dad. Lion King, best goddamn Disney film ever. Bambi. Ridiculously popular. Not a fan myself. Consult our Bambi show on exactly why. And again, tone problem. Mm-hmm. You know, your 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 mother is dead now, you are a man. Bing bada ding bing bada ding bing bong bing, bong. But, but again And as Lindsay Ellis would say, yeah. This movie has a tone problem.
2: <laughs> but if you're going to do that, that's fine. But know that's what If you're
0: going to have a tone problem on purpose. Yeah,
2: know that's what you're doing. But it wouldn't and be a tone no problem if you knew that, that
0: that was what you're it. doing it. Like the, Beetlejuice, for example, has a tone problem. Nightmare Before Christmas has a tone problem. But there's something gleeful about the way Burton does it. Mm. That it's like, he knows he's a weird creep. But with this, they're really trying something. They think they're being cuddly.
1: Once upon a time,
0: there was a little tiger who lived in a cave
1: with her family. There were a lot of rules, but the big, simple one was to never leave the cave at night. And the door was so heavy, you'd think it would be easy to remember. So easy to remember! I know! (sighs) But while everyone was asleep, she went out anyway. No! Yes, and no sooner than she did, their cave was destroyed, and everyone had to go on this long, sucky walk with some weirdo they met. And die. Ah! The end. Whoa! I did not see that common twist ending. My stories never end like that.
0: That was The Croods. Significantly better of a film. All about how change is scary, but necessary. Because we can't move forwards if we're static like a rock. So anyway, the the, the cave boy gets away and then runs up the uh, uh, side of the riverbank. And Arlo and his father... Uh, go in search of him so that they can smash his head in with a rock and kill it Uh, the way that you would a raccoon just you know keep hunting for critters with a a rifle Um, you know out in a storm when there was a massive flood imminent you'd do that or maybe you'd go this weather is not worth it not for one critter i'm staying inside but the uh, uh, the dad, played by Jeffrey Wright, who has a great voice but is not James L. Jones, uh, admonishes Arlo for being scared all the time and says, you've got to push through your fear. And he illustrates in a slightly earlier scene with some fireflies, because you know, this kid doesn't want to go out at night. Um, you know, look, if you push through that fear, you can find the beauty in it. And he sort of, he sweeps some fireflies up and and, and Arlo and him run around in a fear field because nobody messes with your dad. It's like they don't realise they're doing Lion King. And then the stampede of wildebeest, sorry, then the giant river sweeps away his dad, killing him, just like in... Lion King and. Which uh, he
2: dreams later looks like a stampede of wildebeest, brilliant. by the way.
0: Anyway, they conceived of this in, in, a, in a meeting, and clearly no one said, well, it's, it, it's Lion King. <laughs> but Arlo goes back to his home for a very uncomfortable while where he is suddenly the man of the house now, even though he's not because he's still got an older brother and elder sister by a few minutes. And, uh, the, the mother's like, we've got to keep, we've got to keep digging, digging for the corn, get the, get the corn, you know, put in the, in the grain silos. Otherwise we won't have enough food for winter. And that's, that's the central crux of the film at this point. They have like with, they've got a soldier on without the father and it's kind of real sad situation, especially for people who've actually lost a father, to just pull your family back together again and keep going. Otherwise, you're going to fall apart. So they've got to dig the corn and put the corn in the grain silo for winter. And that is the central thing. And the mother is working herself to death doing extra work, because obviously the father's not here. We don't really see the brother and sister. They're not in the frame when she tells Arlo he's got to help. So he works hard, and then he discovers the critter again. You had your hand up, what were you going to say? Yes.
2: um, They have one field. Yeah, one. One field can only grow X amount of corn. Yeah. So presumably last year they managed to survive on X amount of corn. Yeah. This year they don't have Henry to feed.
0: Oh, no, they have a second field. They actually – they they, – Dig out a second field.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry, missed that bit. But
0: they, uh, I think the the first field is the one that they eat off, and the other one is the field that they uh, grow for from. But you're right; they don't have that extra mouth to feed. That biggest mouth. It is mathematically worked out that this corn must be gathered, otherwise we're going to die. And and he's the man of the house. And then the raccoon boy comes back. And he chases this boy out and ends up being bitten in the nose and they both fall into the river together. And he is swept away from his house and his farm and his ha- family and his home and he's swept down the river and away and this is the beginning of his proper journey out into the world he's passed the threshold on the uh, hero's journey and it reminded me of the impossible the uh, um Juan Antonio Bay- Bayona film about the uh, monsoon in Thailand he's being smashed through this pounding water and I was like oh god there's gonna be a horrible injury any second now and because I was primed for it but when he finally does pull himself out like he's got bloodied knees and like cuts and bruises and Yet he's still this candy-coloured, soft, you know, colourful cartoon Flintstones dinosaur in these photorealistic, sharp environments. And it just, again, there's this weird disparity. It feels like, up in your head, if he walks too close to a thorn bush, he's going to puncture his soft outer shell, like Baymax, and start leaking lime green ooze. It's disgusting, yet delicious. But now he's out in the wilderness... And it looks, if anything, especially after playing the fifth numbered game in the series, which is set in Montana, like Far Cry Primal. This is Far Cry Dino. I'm thinking, get to one of those control towers, then you can at least open up this area. So he he sees this cave boy again and, and drags himself up a a stony cliff to try and get to him. And he he keeps screaming, I'm going to kill you. I think it's probably the most death threats that a Pixar hero has ever... Uh, dolled out it
2: Might even be The most death threats That a Pixar character Is dolled out Even a villain
0: Yeah Yeah, he's 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 definitely like he's like I will crush you, I'll crush the life out of you, I'll smash your skull with a stick. I don't think he says that specific wording, but it's 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 definitely I will end your life, I will fucking end you.
2: There's things in there that and you don't want to hear your your cute eleven year old boy who's in the shape of a dinosaur yelling at people. Well,
0: I don't know, like maybe if you want to have him be this rage filled monster now and he's dealing with his anger, but he's not dealing with his anger. That's not something he has to deal with. It's just his fear. So now I'm thinking inside out, inside this dinosaur's head and fears at the wheel. Grappling with anger and disgust, which has turned into self-disgust. And Joy's just at the back sleeping. She's not going to get a look in. What, what's actually happening here is, as you said, Sharon, that there is a, a boy has been lost from his farm family in the Wild West, you know, Wild West Wyoming times, and uh, a wolf cub you know he can he considers he blames for the death of his father, so if you think of Arlo as a boy the whole time and this cave boy as a wolf cub, it kind of makes sense, and that would have been a more compelling story, but it probably wouldn't have brought in big crowds, but this didn 't bring in that big crowds anyway. it made three hundred and something million out of like a hundred and eighty million budget and uh, it, it was good enough for Pixar, but it's not going to be one that they trumpet.
2: It just seems like a baffling decision. If you're chasing the Croods' tail and you know that Disney's history with dinosaur movies is not fantastic, hmm. it just seems like there was a sequence of really odd choices made for this.
0: Speaking of odd choices, they then meet uh, because there's a, a weird, un, uneasy alliance formed between. There's, we're going to jump over 20 minutes or so of uh, the, uh, the dinosaur and the cave boy bonding because they, they, it takes ages and it's quite boring. Uh, mostly with the dinosaur being afraid all the time and the boy going, look, you just do it like this. Uh, but the boy never speaks. He's just sort of like and, and, and just growling. And there was a feral baby again in the crudes. But she wasn't the co-star. She was surrounded by adult humans and child humans and an old lady who could, you know, do the talking. And bear in mind, one of Pixar's best films is Wall-E, a robot that can pretty much just say his own name. And Eva. That's it. So it's not impossible to make this feral child a really great character. They just didn't. Speaking of which... Laura in Logan, feral child, never speaks outside of Spanish. And even then, it's very limited, and they relegate that to Act 3. It's all about her physical performance. I am fucked up, and I cannot get you there. It is a two-day drive, and I am not taking you.
1: Don't Ah, fucking hit me! Don't hit me! Jonah, Gideon, Stop Rebecca, Delilah. Rictor, Jonah, Gideon. Stop it. Rebecca, Delilah, Rictor, Jonah, fine, fine. Gideon. Fine, Go in I'll take you it It's
0: serious. It's got a fucking fantasy, right? And they don't really focus on the communication between the two of them. I was like, right, finally, we're going to see these two bonding and and finally we're going to see them, um, like, communicating. And I, I said to Sharon earlier, it would have been so much better if the boy had been using sign the whole time and trying to sign at the dinosaur, who, of course, wouldn't understand him. So we got... Subtitles, mm. but I don't think they would have done that anyway because they're aiming at very little children who don't want to read things while they're looking at them.
2: Yeah, and I, I can understand why they didn't do something like that, but even the whole scene where Spot is bringing Arlo various types of food that Arlo can't eat... Meat. Yeah, like... You could have that as a small boy sitting there starving, wolf cub brings him a half-dead rat or something, you know?
0: Mm. I mean, I get that there's a metaphorical story taking place underneath, but what's taking place on the surface is not compelling. No. That's a problem. That's a real problem. Uh, but speaking of weird decisions, we now meet the Collector, the Styracosaurus which is kind of like a, a triceratops with a very broad, like, you know, sea, like a rough of uh, uh, flared horns. He has loads of critters, like, sort of hanging on him, like little uh, a lizard and uh, a bird and a little um, fennec fox. He's played by Peter Son, the uh, director, and it feels like he did this in a meeting and everyone thought it was a scream and they loved it and they, it was just so much fun for them. And... They played it for John Lasseter and John Lasseter's eyes lit up. I mean, it could have been because a female intern came in the room and turned around and he went after her going, pinch, pinch. And then he got, you know, shit canned by Disney, rightly so. (sighs) But maybe John Lasseter liked this scene. Um, This Styracosaurus, I'm just going to call him the the Collector because it's a ridiculous name for a dinosaur. Uh... He, he hears voices and he names all of these creatures like this one is the destroyer, this one is the eater of dreams, this one is the soul collector, this one is Debbie, and it's like, oh of course yeah, the fourth one's just a normal name. Ah, oh, it's funny. It's not funny, and that's a problem, because the whole film isn't funny, like at all. And I think it's aside from Cars 2, one of the only Pixar films that just isn't funny. Uh, even Cars 2 has got a few moments here and there. Like, Michael Caine can't contain that he is actually a naturally funny guy. And there's uh, occasionally Larry the Cable Guy i will go, You ever fought so hard, your hook cracks?
2: There's nothing... There's a, there's a handful of moments in this film where the emotional beats hit. Mm. And I will give it that there isn't a single moment that I can think of that actually made me laugh.
0: Yeah. So anyway, this collector's, like, talking about his friends, and he hears voices, and he says he's going to meditate on it. Then he looks at um, the cave boy, and he's like, if I, you know, I name it, I'm going to keep it. And then he comes up with a bunch of names. While the dinosaur's thinking of just, you know, childlike names, like Stinky and Smelly and stuff like that, he's calling the, this cave boy Killer and Lunatic and Maniac. And at one point, he says, just with with weird specificity, "murderer." Murderer. And, I, and it's like, I get that you're like riffing on a theme here, but this collector is like James Gum. He's like Buffalo Bill, and he's he's like he's a guy you'd meet in the wilderness that you'd be terrified for your life if you met him and you would be desperate to get away. But that's not really conveyed in the comedy. It's just like, oh, look at this funny guy. And it's it's all just a way of getting Arlo to name the cave boy Spot, which is a, obviously a dog's name. But he could have done that between the two of them, not requiring the introduction of this character that goes nowhere, I might add. The collector thing goes nowhere. That creature protected you.
1: Why? I don't know. I'm going home. Do you know how far Clotcheth Mountain is? Good idea. We want him. Why? Cause it's terrifying out here. He can protect me, like my friends. This is Fury. He protects me from the creatures that crawl in the night. This is Destructor. She protects me from mosquitoes. This is Dream Crusher. He protects me from having unrealistic goals. And this is Debbie.
0: Yes, we need him. It it makes not a lick of sense, and is genuinely bone-chilling, the way it's conveyed. And it's another one of those tone problem moments that you like. That, 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 like the parents in the audience might laugh nervously, and the kids might laugh nervously. But the kids would laugh because they don't get it, and they're they're, they're hearing the the parents tittering, going, <laughs> "I got kids here. <laughs> Careful, D- Disney Pixar."
2: And again, if what you wanted was this image of a creature with these huge antlers, with birds and and animals sitting all over it, just make him a kooky, weird collector of creatures. Yeah. Like a Pokemon obsessive. Like he just wants one of everything and he's never seen anything like Spot before, so he wants it because it's different.
0: But like even he should say like, you know, I don't think I know what this thing is. It looks kind of complicated, man. You're going to have to take care of this one. And that's his advice hmm. to like that he he comes across as someone who is caring to small creatures. That's fine. For a, a little kid's dinosaur film. Why do you have to like have bring murderer in and I mean, maniac well, and they, gut ripper?
2: They do say in the commentary that part of what they wanted to achieve with this character was to give a hint at where Arlo could end up if his fear is allowed to continue ruling him. But there is no direct straight line between Arlo and this guy. There is nothing to suggest... Arlo could end up like this. This is a fear that we, we now have for him, that he doesn't end up... And apart from anything else, even if we did get that, and even if Arlo did end up like this guy, at least he's got company.
0: Also, the, it doesn't convey to children that this collector is afraid. The collector seems totally chilled out. The kids aren't going to get that this could be Arlo. No, The kids would get it if the Stegosaurus was like, oh, my God, the whole time, I need to have my animal companions, otherwise I'm finished. He, That's how you do it.
2: He does say words that suggest that, but,
0: but his, there's
2: no feeling behind it.
0: Bingo. Them. His body language suggests that he is weirdly chilled out and his voice is... Uh, th- th- there's, there's no reason that Arlo would end up like that. He'd just die and get eaten by predators. That's actually what'll happen. He's defenceless. As a reminder of how defenseless Arlo actually is, but also how annoying he is as a character, I'm going to play you a collection put together by Deacon's Cartoons called Every Time Arlo Screams in the Good Dinosaur. So anyway, tripping balls. Because the next scene has these two children, let's remember their children, tripping balls. (laughs) They find some fruit on a rock underneath a tree with ripe versions of that fruit, and these are like windfalls and they're fermenting. They gulp them down, and then the little kid's head puffs up and I thought he's having an allergic reaction but no because then the dinosaur's head grows eight eyes and I'm like oh my god what am I even seeing and then a dinosaur grows out of the child's mouth it's like a fucking Cronenberg nightmare it is disgusting and then this child's head on a dinosaur's body goes romping across the ground with a, a dinosaur's head on a child's body and they're having a great time but the children in the audience are like Oh, my God, we're through the looking glass here, people. We have entered the realm of Lovecraftian horror. What brought this on? And then afterwards, they have terrible hangovers. And it's such a weird, sudden, throwaway moment. And it's like, again, I get that they're just bonding. There are other things that two boys can do than descending into a dysmorphic acid trip for your tiny children's film, yes? Yes.
2: How I thought this scene was going to play out was you see Arlo eating the fruit off the ground, then Spot picks one up and sniffs it and realises it's gone off, and you see this horrible little piece of fruit with flies buzzing around it. Yeah. And he looks up at the tree and sees the ripe fruit up on the tree.
0: Then scampers up the tree and throws down the ripe fruit or, to the dinosaur.
2: Climbs up and sits on Arlo's head to pick the fruit to show them working together and bonding over let's get some fruit that's not fucking rotten but no they decided to replicate something from Welcome to the Frickin' Jungle <laughs>
1: <laughs> The name rang a bell but I couldn't concentrate terrible things were happening all around us I <laughs> have well, my attorney and I realise that his name is not on that list but we must have the suite your suite
0: isn't ready yet. Someone was looking for you. No, we haven't done anything yet. Move! I can handle this. From the makers of Cars 2 and Finding Dory, Fear and Loathing in the Paleolithic Era. Then there's the good bit. Like, the only really good bit of this film, because it's all visual storytelling. So, Sharon, do you want to take it away on this one?
2: Yeah, there's a... One of those emotional beats I mentioned that really land when Arlo is trying to explain to Spot who he is and where he comes from. And he, sh- he uses sticks to demonstrate that there are, f- well, to start with, to show that there are four people in his family.
0: He pokes them into the dirt so they're standing up like figures.
2: Yeah, exactly. So there's him, and he says, and that's uh, my sister, and that's my brother, and that's my mother.
0: They're bipedal figures, so if you really want to get big on the uh, fan theories, that proves that what we're actually seeing is a boy talking mm. to a dog. Indeed. A particularly intelligent dog who understands this whole stick thing.
2: And then he sets up a, a bigger stick and says, that's his dad, and then he draws a circle around it all and says, that's my family. With his now, nose. Spot, who up until this point has been a dog...
0: Grasps and then afterwards this. is a dog. Is a,
2: yeah, it, 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 the other thing that frustrates me a little bit about
0: this is it's that it wildly go inconsistent with the rest of the film.
2: Stand on it, but anyway, Spot grasps what he's trying to do, and he he goes off and comes back with three sticks and sets them up himself and, and draws a circle around them to say, "This is my family." Then Spot knocks over the two bigger sticks in his family and covers them over with dirt to show that his parents are dead. And
0: he buried them.
2: And Arlo grasps this and, and you can see him become visibly upset and he, because he's been shown this by Spot, he accepts the fact that his father is gone and he shows Spot the same thing. He pushes over the big stick, covers it over and then they bond over this, this mutual Shared loss... Yeah. loss. And it's lovely, it's absolutely wonderful, it's a fantastic moment, it's beautiful visual storytelling. Worthy of most of the other Pixar films. Absolutely, the expressions on the characters are really well drawn, you get what they're, they're saying without there needing to be a lot of complicated dialogue, and it's beautiful. And it goes nowhere. <laughs> but it's really, really nice. So
0: frustrating.
2: And I will give them points for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They wake up and they meet a bunch of friendly pteranodons and the pteranodons are like, ah, what the storm provides in its plate. played by um, Steve Zahn, who's like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm just a friendly pteranodon. They chat for quite a while. And then another one of the pteranodons brings Steve Zahn a, a fluffy little squirrel thing, like a, a
2: Specifically, they get Arlo to help them get this squirrel thing out from under the tree. Oh, my
0: God, I've forgotten that. Yeah, so Arlo helps them get the squirrel out, and then the lead pterodactyl gulps it down, leaving the tail poking out, and that is like, and he's trying to swallow this thing. He barely chewed, so this squirrel's still alive inside its mouth. And then the other pteranodons start tearing at the tail, and they're pulling it between them. It's like fucking velociraptors going at a child. And, like, this is a cute little living creature we've just seen. And, again, it's like, you guys have to understand that little children care more about small animals than they do about people.
1: Oh,
2: yes. Especially if those animals have demonstrated some kind of cuteness or sweetness or friendliness. Innocence. Or consciousness. Because to children, those animals
0: are children.
2: That's the projection of them. This, This... absolutely epitomized for me something that happened um the other day we were watching what, what they we do, do in, in the, the shadows, shadows what we what we do in the shadows and there's a lot of of comedy but scary gothic horror-type grossness going on in that film. Yes. Lyra was fine with the vast majority of it. There were a couple of bits... She was fine with a
0: woman having a jugular vein being bitten into and turning into a blood sprinkler system. It,
2: it is all done in a relatively humorous and subtle-ish kind of way, but it still looks pretty over-the-top violent. But she was fine with all of that. But towards the end of the film, there is a suggestion that a dog... A perfectly innocent dog that's done nothing wrong is going to be put down.
0: Because some incompetent police look at a, a man who's been mauled by a werewolf and they found a stray collie and they're like, oh, yeah, see what you did there?
1: Yeah.
0: And absolutely. It's, it's a sort of a moment of pathos. And Lyra creased up and started crying. That's what happens when children are told that innocent animals that can't speak for themselves are going to be killed. Mm. It is a sense of injustice. You start pulling apart a live squirrel brother, that should not make the final cut. And it did, and it made it into theatres, and like, everyone was fine with this.
2: Tone problem.
0: Tone problem. Um, but the, the ter- pteranodons, here's the problem with the pteranodon scene, aside from the tearing apart a small squirrel. It's not the fact that they're predators. Them being scary predators is fine. Like, you know, the, the my, 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 the, the seagulls in... Um, Finding Nemo, uh, like terrifying, but stupid with it. and so like It's like, oh my God, imagine if these seagulls were actually trying to get you. The giant bird in a bug's life is like a giant T-Rex, and yet it's cute. There's something consistent about that. Like this cute or silly thing is also very dangerous.
2: Honestly, I think the bird in a bug's life is pushing it a bit. That is terrifying, that bird. <laughs> it's like the bird from It.
0: I think, but it's the fact that it's so cute that allows them to get away with it in the, in the film. Because the kids are like, oh, I suppose actually a bird that looks this cute in real life would be terrifying to a bug. So you can rationalise it as yeah, a kid.
1: but
2: you see hints of what could come... If this creature gets hold of the thing that it's after, you never see the bird in a bug's life actually eat one of the bugs. You never see the seagulls... He
0: eats Hopper at the end, but that's, like, the but villain and you've been villain. waiting that's for
2: fine. it. That's fine. But, but especially because I mean,
0: it's Kevin Spacey, because fuck that guy.
2: They, what I mean is they don't set up how scary it is by having it eat one of the troop. Yeah. They don't have
0: Or a the cute seagulls. little bug.
2: Yeah, exactly. They don't have the seagulls in Nemo actually eat something they show you what could happen yeah. but it doesn't happen
0: and then they pull it away in
2: this you actually see it see them they eviscerate a little creature small you ate scrap yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So kids have imaginations. You don't need to go all the way on those things. But here's the them. thing:
0: like, ev- like just them being predators and actually getting prey, that would have still be fine. Mm. Sheer calm when he turns up in the modern day Jungle Book and he's like, the man cub came into your kitchen and he's speaking in the manner of a psychopath who is obviously a psychopath. He's just approaching you here. He's being very polite about it, but he's obviously very threatening. And it's like, he's sheer calm. He looks terrifying. We have an instant respect for him. We get that. With these guys, they're chatting away, this, that, and the other, like the sharks in Finding Nemo. But in Finding Nemo, it was like, "No, we don't want to eat you, brother." And 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 they act like it's just the smell of blood, which suddenly makes Bruce want to just a mouthful. Children get that there is a balance to that. These guys chat away like they're their friends, and then, they turn. And then turn like that, and then they tr- they're trying to freaking eviscerate, and they want to kill in each Spot, and they're coming after them like big sharp teeth, like r- you know, real menacing predators and it just it 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 feels like they missed a gag that would have made that acceptable Mm. the gag should not simply be they were friendly now they're deadly that's not a gag at all no it's that's terrifying in fact
2: they've missed an opportunity that's don't talk
0: (laughs) to strangers they've
2: missed an opportunity there to forward the central tenet of the film have arlo be scared of them have Arlo gradually start to overcome his fear in his conversation with them, yeah. and then
0: to, to show the validity right of that fear. To be
2: afraid,
0: they had an opportunity to actually make because like, Inside Out made sadness valid. You could have made fear valid. Crudes did And it
2: is When you're in a prehistoric environment This is is why Fear will keep you alive Fear Fear and anger are the two things that will keep you alive In in a prehistoric setting
0: But they run away from the tyrannodons And as with all situations They run into a a trio of friendly tyrannosaurus rexes Who batter the, the tyrannodons Send them on their way Without a single scrap of damage To the tyrannodons I might add And immediately befriend this herbivore and human Because that makes sense. That's a sentence that makes perfect sense. Because these T-Rexes are cowboys. They herd the buffalo, and they're they're led by the beloved, wonderful Sam Elliott, who's like, Hey, how's it going there? I'm a T-Rex, and I'm going to show you how to be a cowboy for a weekend. And they basically hang around with these guys for a set piece. (laughs) They encounter some what looks like what Velociraptors would actually have looked like, and they're disgusting. And Arlo helps defend them off. It's just a sequence.
2: And there is a real issue that I have with the the whole principle behind the Western
0: setup. Yeah, we're going to come to it now.
2: And that is that they the way the dinosaurs have been. Placed in this is farmers good, noble, work hard, respected, ranchers good, noble, herd their buffalo, mind their own business, are supportive and kind to each other, hunters,
0: hunter gatherers.
2: At this point, by and large, the Native Americans would have been cold. Stone psychopaths that just eat small creatures and are horrid.
0: Savages who are at best dogs and are at worst psychopaths. Yeah. They dress in rags or they'll try and eat you.
2: I don't believe even for a second that that's what they intended to imply.
0: I think it's just ignorance and boneheadedness. They didn't get the parallels. You've
2: got to be aware that if you create an environment that is meant to replicate...
0: Frontier, frontier living, of, yeah.
2: Yeah, frontier living in America, I might add. They have deliberately structured the backgrounds on this. They've so made, it, made it look like,
0: like a John Ford like Western.
2: The plains of America. John Ford
0: Westerns were racist as shit.
2: And your setup is these creatures have been here since time immemorial and they're white settlers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Effectively, man is the new species. Man should be the ones who are effectively coming into the dinosaurs' land and pushing them out, and the dinosaurs should be afraid of them, and the dinosaurs should be fearing for the future of their species. Man is man in fucking Avatar. But it's the other way around in this. It's it's so ass backwards. The dinosaurs are settling in a land they've been in for millions of years. It doesn't make any kind of sense and I get it I would understand if they were like we have actually really tried to think about this the way that they sort of seem to have done with Zootopia Mm. like it feels like there's a kind of a bible as to actually how Zootopia came about and they were like let's just sort of we won't go into that we'll hint at it with that little play at the beginning Mm. but that there is a, a thinking behind this. Mm. If there was thinking behind the good dinosaur where they were like, okay, they were just dinosaurs and then they first started to, to, to work out the, the rudimentary technologies that mankind would have worked out around this time mm. in conjunction with mankind.
2: In fact, show me some semblance of some evolution. Give me lizard men standing on their hind legs and wearing something approaching clothes. Or
0: give me dino riders. Like, this is that film. Humans and dinosaurs working together. Mass hysteria. (laughs) But they don't. There's this one family of apatosaurs, one dead... With no thumbs! One dead family of humans, another living family of humans, a a trio of T-Rex buffalo ranchers, and a bunch of predators in this empty landscape... This empty, empty, empty landscape is like Far Cry Primal with no missions. <laughs> so Arlo is presented with his one moment of weakness, which is that, uh, like I said, there, there was another family of cavemen out there who are alive and they see one of them on a ridge. And uh, Spot, this dog that he's not really communicated with for about 20 minutes now, um, shows some interest in this caveman over on the ridge and they howl at each other. Um, and Arlo goes, we got to keep going, and like moves on, even though Spot's clearly interested in meeting one of his own kind. And obviously, this is a moment of weakness. Now, in your character Path, You have a moment of weakness for an otherwise good, unselfish character who makes a selfish decision that he then has to make amends for. Or you have a character who is gutless do something brave at this point. But having a character who has been frightened and pathetic starts to move up a little bit, but really not much. Then be, like, really frightened and pathetic isn't doesn't really feel like much. It just feels like I, I hated this character before, now I'm just waiting for him to get this same opportunity to to do the right or wrong thing again and make the right decision. So it sets up too hard his ultimate decision mm, yeah. in the same way that at the beginning uh, the father's like well watch out for the river there and you muttered he's going in the river then
2: S- someone's going in there river and
0: in the commentary Peter Son said we had to subtly set up that the river was dangerous
1: not going to be that
0: subtle But this isn't me going, well, your your movie for babies uh, was not complex enough for us. It's just that you have to compare it like a Hattori Hanzo sword with every other Hattori Hanzo sword that Pixar have made. And this one is weak and brittle and broken. As opposed to something flawless like, uh, I don't want to say perfect... But Flawless means that, doesn't it? But uh, um, Coco and Inside Out, Toy Story 3, Wally, e Ratatouille, these are some incredible pieces of work. And I think Toy Story 4 as well falls into this category. Just exceptional achievements in film, which don't even seem like they come from the same studio as this. Not even the same era as this. So, yeah, uh, Arlo then gets separated from um, uh, Spot, but he gets taken away by pterodactyls. He gets tangled in vines and has a vision of his father. His father helps him out of the vines uh, after he gets bashed in the head with a rock, and then he realises that his father isn't walking on, on the mud. He's not making an impression in the mud, um, and that his father clearly isn't actually there, and he is simply uh, communicating with his father's the, the, the version of his father that lives in him.
1: He lives in you.
0: They're doing this as though it's not been done before so much better. It's like, you've got the Lion King to beat, guys. That's your template. So, uh, you know, he says, you're everything uh, I am and more, which is, you know, it's a sweet scene and I like it, but the the problem is we never really got to know the father character. He was never really characterised aside from being, you know, I am the guy who ploughs the field with his own face.
2: Gently criticises you because you're not
0: brave. Yeah. But he never like, – the father never got to have uh, – apparently they were, they were trying to sort of work out whether the father should really lay into his son for being frightened or whether they should hold back on that and make him more saintly. Apparently they, they, there was a scene where the father was, you know, really quite harsh with him. I don't recall it, so clearly it didn't have that impact that um, obviously the Lion King and, you know, the, I, I'm only brave when I have to be seen has it just there's none of that weight and I'm sorry to keep comparing it to the Lion King but they invite the comparison with the building blocks that they have presented here Arlo wakes up, still tangled in the vines, untangles himself, runs after uh, his friend, howling to try to get his attention. He finds him. uh, They see off the pteranodons together. um, The the spot, the kid, tears through the flesh of the wing of the lead pteranodon with his bare teeth. And the lead pteranodon looks through the hole in his wing because he's just been mutilated. And that's for a fun scene or something. And then um, Arlo hits him with a stick and then crushes him and kills I think they killed two of the three pteranodons between them just murder them in a way that the T-Rexes couldn't and then Spot is basically unconscious in the river and Arlo has to uh, conquer his fear to, uh, uh, to get him back. But again, you've either got the bond between these two or you've got uh, the conquering of the fear. You've just done the conquering of the fear, so him just conquering his fear to rescue this helpless creature feels like short changing spot who is once again not even really a character
2: and then Arlo wakes him up by blowing on him
0: which he blew on a firefly to make it it light up and they, they figure that that was a huge deal and you know it's, it's a sweet scene he wakes he, he wakes the uh, the kid up the kid pats him on the nose They you know they feel closer together they exit stage left and immediately encounter that cave family you know it's it's, it's, a, it's a neat Scene again. It's wordless. There's a lot of you know emotion going through the face of this dinosaur where he realizes I've got to let this kid go. He'll be better off with his family. It's I suppose it's Planet of the Apes and Caesar is home. It's just that Caesar had all the agency mm. and Spot doesn't even really understand what's going on because he immediately hops back onto the the back of uh, of Arlo because he's a dog. Mm.
2: There is a neat little bit of uh, visual storytelling with this where they have there are enough. Differences between Spot's appearance and the appearance of the new family. So, like, Spot has dark brown hair, they've got greyish white hair. (laughs) Uh, Which
0: makes them seem like they're old and and about to die of old age by the age of 20. (laughs)
2: Which is likely, um, except <laughs> that they have kids with them. The, the facial structure is slightly different as well. There, there is sort of a subtle implication that Spot is a Neanderthal child and they're Cro-Magnon.
0: Again, there, I feel like that's more research more... than that you're crediting them with. That yeah. they deliberately and, avoided. And
2: also something that's a tiny thing, but did just occur to me that you have to have in your cave family the cave woman with a perfect hourglass figure and <laughs> a he knows so that it's clear that she's attractive
0: it's a good scene it's arlo overcoming his fear but see there's so much intermingled with this you know he's sad to let this kid go he's fearful that uh, he won't be able to uh, go on alone he's already seen his home so there's a little bit of joy in there he's happy for this kid but it doesn't correspond with his big issue which is fear And if the issue was simply running after this uh, uh, kid to save him from the Pteranodons and then saving him from the river, like, we can see characters perform feats of daring do in every Pixar film. It feels like it needed to be a moment of confronting pure unbridled fear and being able to surpass it in a very strong visual way. Now obviously Arlo is afraid of the river so it makes perfect sense that the arbiter of his greatest fear that he can now save his loved one from the river, that he can accept that his father is dead, he can move on he can bring this child back and I I, I get it, it's there but it's a weak and confused way of telling this story you know, he, he he lets the family go, and he he draws the uh, circle in the dirt around them the way that they, they did with the stick scene, so it harkens back to that. And uh, then they, you know, off they go, and he goes back to his farm. And his mother is face down in the dirt, just nudging at the the last of the corn stalks. And I was like, visually speaking, that made it look like the ground was was barren, and that they couldn't grow anything anymore, and that they were going to die. And. The actual message they're trying to convey is they've picked all the corn while Arlo was away. It's currently in the grain cellar. Technically, they now have one extra mouth to feed. (laughs) They actually might have gotten on better without him. This effectively means that Arlo did them a favour by taking his enormous drag factor away from the farm to go away on this vision quest find that he is, you know, strong and able to be not not fearful anymore and that you know he can he is brave enough to be a farmer. Again, Sharon squinting in a kind of that the, the correspondence of fear with agriculture doesn't necessarily it's it's not like you have to conquer one to do the other.
2: The whole point of the development of of agrarian culture is that it's when people were too scared to tackle the wilderness it's like put a fence around it and stay in the fence and we'll be okay and you have to then sit with a state of constant fear because you're at the mercy of the elements which you can do nothing about
0: and this is again another huge problem of the fact that they started it on a farm they are pushing this whole the farm is where the is the heartland of the family of america which is the shit that Michael Bay pushes all the time because it's easy to push that onto one specific audience that have a lot of dollars. Mm.
2: And I'm not a wild fan of agrarian culture anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Didn't realise you're gonna be getting like anti-agrarian rants on this one, folks. Um <laughs> You know, you've got a character who doesn't want adventure. You've got this great uncharted wilderness out there. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with that. And it shouldn't have had anything to do with that. Just, you know, stay on the farm. That's where I'm supposed to be. So this is the whole hero returning with the elixir, which is, you know, effectively in this case, the courage to be a farmer, like I said. Um, but here's the other problem. We've already said that this is one family on their own in a giant empty wilderness and there's humans out there who appear to be advancing and they're still dog-like. But,
2: but it... the human spot has met are more advanced than that. They, work, they walk upright, which, as you say, hmm. implies they are evolving. They are developing.
0: Which adds a sort of clearly unintended bittersweetness to this as to how long is this going to last? If it ended with a Finally, the humans and dinosaurs are working together to forge a future. And you can imagine a Zootopia of humans and dinosaurs. And again, I'm going to say dino riders emerging from thousands of years of of this culture uh, working on itself. But that's not how it ends. It ends in Arlo going, finally, I'm back at the farm. We have enough corn for winter. And he puts his paw print on the grain silo and says, I've done something bigger than myself, which was going to be quite difficult on this farm alone. And that's the end. They're probably going to die. I'm not sure about the survival likelihood of Spot and his new family either. What this needed was... ...a Black Friday moment... The ...there is no real new balance... Uh, ...when when Ida wakes up... ...she mutters to herself... ...Henry... ...when she sees Arlo walking towards her... ...because he has the bearing of his father... ...which effectively means that... ...Arlo is going to be the father again... ...they're just going to carry on doing the same thing... ...but we've already established... ...that that's a risky life... ...for them anyway... ...like they might not be able to to... ...to grow enough crops... You know, at the end of A Bug's Life, they work out that Flick actually had some good ideas and could help them move forwards. That's how Pixar films are supposed to work. New ideas get seeded that lead to a new way of thinking. That's what bringing the elixir back is. And in the case of, you know, some films, it's just that, you know, maybe listen to this outcast guy. He's got a few good ideas.
2: So what Arlo should have brought back was, let's work with these humans. They have Thumbs!
0: It needed a Black Friday moment, what Toy Story got, which is to watch it in storyboard form and for John Lasseter not to be looking over his shoulder and worry that uh, Disney employees are go- you know, that The Disney heads are going to be like, John, what's this with all the pinching? Uh, but for, you know, whoever was watching it as the, uh, ex- you know, exec producer, I think Pete Doctor, I want to say, someone, mm-hmm. someone pretty high up, um, needed to say, right, guys, this doesn't work. It doesn't work the way that the last or 11 Pixar films have really worked. It has weaknesses we need to address these before we go to the next stage of animation. Didn't have that I mean effectively at that, that stage you need to have had like a full script reading like recorded that so that the audio is there playing over the storyboards that you've got They needed to be caught up and told we need to go back to the drawing board Even Emperor's New Groove this thing Turn it into something else. The Good Dinosaur is a perfect example of what happens when you don't Give it a Black Friday, when you do make Kingdom of the Sun.
2: And it violates that Pixar formula that people complain about.
0: Yeah, it does. And people don't like the fact that Pixar do the same thing over and over again. However, there's plenty of Pixar films that dodge certain angles of that Pixar uh, formula in certain ways. But let's look at the flawed Pixar heroes. Because a great deal of the strongest Pixar stories feature lead characters with a fatal weakness. Something for them to overcome. And it feels like they were attempting this with Arlo and his fear. But here is what the green dino was up against. Woody is a great toy. He wants to remain Andy's favourite. This is put in jeopardy by Buzz. Woody gets jealous and he has to overcome that jealousy for the good of Andy, whom he loves. In doing so, he makes a friend for life in Buzz. Marlin is a good fish. He wants to protect his only remaining son to the point where he is overprotective. This is put in jeopardy when Nemo rebels and is taken from him. Marlin must search the ocean, but his ultimate journey's end comes when he allows Nemo to do something dangerous of his own choice to help others. That's the actual ground covered in finding Nemo. Bob Parr ...is a great superhero, but being forced to go into hiding puts that in jeopardy. He conflates that inability to be himself with his family and finds his trammelled home life frustrating. Ultimately, he gets to be a superhero again, but his real breakthrough is fully valuing his wife and children, the ones that he did not have as a solo superhero. This happens only after feeling like he might have lost them. Joy is a great conceptual entity of joy. She wants Riley to be happy all the time. That's a flaw. This is marred to joy by sadness and then put in jeopardy by the conflict and then absence of both joy and sadness. Joy has to understand and trust the value of sadness in order for Riley to experience the complexity of melancholy. us to take a step forward. The new balance. Something new is achieved from doing the thing that you didn't want to do. Arlo is a bad farmer. He is scared of everything and cannot complete his tasks. He wants to be better, but in attempting to guide him, his father dies and Arlo is left alone in the wilderness, blaming that parental death on a dog. He befriends the dog, and to save its life, he must be brave. He returns home, brave enough to let his new friend go, and his family have done all the farming that was required for this season without him and without the dead father. Arlo declares himself worthy of standing among his other family members it doesn't match up do you <laughs> like that, that, that what happens to arlo effectively his fear allowed the farming to be completed <laughs> Then there's double acts. If the central hero didn't have a gaping flaw, often there is something to be learned by pairing up two contrasting characters who work very well together and develop something of a symbiotic relationship. Again, here is what the central duo of Arlo and Spot were up against. Sully and Boo, that is, toddler, teaches Monster that he is capable of nurturing a child rather than scaring them. And in return, she gets a furry dad. Lightning and Mater... Buffoon teaches race car driver to loosen up and enjoy taking things slow and silly, and in return, he gets an exciting friend. And in learning the value of friendship, he learns to fixate less on winning. Remy and Linguini. Gifted rat teaches hapless boob that he can be excellent at supporting skilled chefs. That's what Linguini learns to be support. And then Remy gets his own restaurant in return. Wally and Eve. Lonely, diligent worker teaches perfect machine to break her programming and forge a personality. And he finds his companion in return. Carl and Russell. Boy Scout teaches widower that there is joy to be found in life beyond the vast loneliness from losing a wife. And in return he gets a grandfather. Merida and Eleanor. Mum teaches daughter that even though we mess things up with our anger, we can make amends. And in return, Eleanor gets to reconnect with her daughter, Arlo and Spot. Feral child teaches timid dinosaur that if his loved ones are in danger, it is worth being brave to help them. He gets rescued, then gets a family of unrelated cavemen in return. Again, it doesn't correspond. That works if Spot stays with Arlo and can actually help them on the farm rather than being a critter. Thus, a new balance is restored, whereby the thing that they thought would be fatal to the farm is actually of help to it. Let's boil it down to the serious problems. Here are the reasons that The Good Dinosaur does not work and will never be widely recognised as a supremely accomplished Pixar film. Just to boil it down. Disparity between backgrounds and characters. The tone problem between aiming young and going dark. Dinosaurs doing people things is the least suspenseful Pixar premise. Not being the least bit funny... No narrator. If this had a narrator the whole way through, Sam Elliott was right there, you could have been told the story of Arlo as though, you know, it's a bedtime story being told to children.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: If If you're aiming at really little kids, that makes perfect sense to do it like that. Makes it feel like a metaphor as well. Establishing the normal excludes the hero. Here's the thing. Almost all Pixar films establish the normal. It's almost comforting how... Bureaucratic their systems are like dun, 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 this is the normal, and the hero is part of that system. They are a cog, oftentimes, they're a cog that kind of jumps out of the machine and messes everything up. And then by the end, a new equilibrium is reached, often eliminating a toxic element that was in there in the background. In this, the hero can't farm well, and him coming back. Doesn't get rid of the toxic element. He just farms well, probably, mm. ostensibly. We've never see we, we don't see him farming. No. We just see him do a paw print and go. I will be a farmer. I mean, you know, he, like we imagine he might be saying that in his head.
2: Mm. And his character development is actually hampered by the fact that we see him being bored at the beginning. Yeah. If, if you cut off that whole intro bit mm. and just jump straight in with Arlo is eleven years old and doesn't fit in with his family. That would have given you a a stronger starting point, I think.
0: You can have Arlo as a major character in the film. What he needed was support from a father figure or from Spot being an actual character. Mm. Because him being fearful is so offset by the fact that he's whiny, it's like a baby Ross from Friends. Guys! Or, Or Milhouse. Would you make a film just about Milhouse, but not... Like any real... Like, like, like not make, make it funny. Bart
2: a small dog.
0: <laughs> like, you're supposed to root for Milhouse, but, like, there's, some, there's things the Simpsons do to make Milhouse kind of pathetic, but you kind of also root for him maybe a little bit. Like, the, the Simpsons back in the 90s could have done a Milhouse film, Maybe. They couldn't now. The no-adventure-please-we're-farmers element. that you know, The, the whole idea that like, this adventure that he goes on is something entirely undesirable to him. He doesn't want... He's not curious about the outside world. It's terrifying to him. That It's difficult for kids to get on board with that because we're seeing this wonderful wild landscape and we're like, get out there! Check it out! See what's... We want to know what's out there. And he's like, no! What if I stub my toe? Also... Children who are terrifically fearful
2: of the outside world are usually so because they have parents who are remarkably terrified of the outside world.
0: Yeah. And they're probably not going to be seeing this film because these parents are terrified of showing them anything. Mm.
2: Yes.
0: There's no real attention paid to the communication of the central duo. Spot is barely characterised. They do not work well together. They, like Spot doesn't talk. That's a huge problem. And Spot also doesn't really communicate in any meaningful way throughout. He's a dog with a dog's mind and very occasionally and briefly is expressive.
2: But he's also a dog with a very unintelligent dog's mind. Lassie communicates more than he does. Yeah.
0: Doug communicates more than he does. Mm. Even if Doug couldn't talk, he would be much more communicative.
1: Mm. I wonder who he belongs to. That's it, boy. Hey, look! He's trained! Shake! Uh Uh-huh! Speak! Hi there! Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes! My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. Uh, uh, uh. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! Can we keep him? Please, please, please? No! What is a talking dog? It's just a weird trick or something.
0: There's far too many elements pulled from The Lion King. It has an uncomfortable ending. The frontier story never feels justified. The lovely music by Michael and Jeff Dana doesn't match it. And the big question at the end is where is this world going? And they haven't got an answer to that. So we're again looking at this existential horror. We're looking at these families scratching out a living. This is the Dinosaur Road. Dinosaurs and man were never supposed to live together and we are not presented with a reason why they can. So on that bombshell, we will leave you after this cutesy, cutesy, sweet, sweet cartoon candy of blood and bones, red in tooth and claw. It's, it's kind of Candy Crush meets The Revenant. <laughs> or uh, Little Baby Bear from Shrek. This cage is too small in Beowulf getting bear baited that's a horrible image but that's the kind of juxtaposition i'm talking about now so yeah any final thoughts on the good dinosaur
2: no i think we've thoroughly covered it to pieces
0: yeah and it makes me sad because obviously there's there's people who worked in this whose careers will have suffered because it got bad press and there's people who worked in this who will go on to do fantastic things and I will, I, you know, the, the the visuals, they really worked on this looking as appealing as possible. Very little was done by accident, visually speaking. Mm.
2: And what I find a little bit distressing, actually, about how it was put together is listening to the, the team talking on the commentary. The overwhelming sense that I got from them is that they are not massively experienced in how to tell stories in animated form the animation side of things they are clearly very very talented very very skilled at the 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 visual images that they're creating but I really got the feeling like they kind of got stuck in a room somewhere on their own and nobody with years of experience of working with Pixar or Disney or or any other animation no
0: Ed Catmull or Pete Doctor. yeah
2: coming in and talking to them about right here's how you could shape this to get it to go in a direction that you want it to go so they keep talking about these things that they wanted to do and they've got there's a real sense that they knew how to do it but they didn't know why they were doing it they didn't know what they were trying to achieve with it exactly and that I feel is why everything feels so muddled and like the threads don't stick together mm. you you have thumbs tie those knots <laughs>
0: Immediately following this was uh, Finding Dory, which is another coasting Pixar film. I feel like it's a film that didn't need to be made at all. I'm not even all that interested in doing a show on it because it it doesn't achieve much. And uh, then Cars Three, which I enjoyed, and there was a, there's actually some really good moments in it. And uh, that 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 seem like the, the, we are moving uphill at this stage. But then after Cars Three you got Coco, which is one of their finest ever. And then Incredibles 2, which is, again, a little bit of a subside, but you can't always be knocking them out of the park with Coco. Then a year after Incredibles 2, you got Toy Story 4. Again, a triumph. A melancholy triumph. And I shouldn't use the word perfect. I don't even mean perfect when I say that. What I mean is so good that you can pretty much ignore most of its flaws. School of Movies is of course funded by Patreon and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode so thank you to Joel Robinson Abel Savard Michael Hasko Trey Contreras Matthew Webb Connor Kennedy Angus Lee Marty Hui David Sheely Kevin Vey Daniel Salguero Brian Novak Evan Jankowski Sarah Montgomery Dan Hetner Johan Clayson Tyler Long Joga Seeger Greg Downing Tim Rosensky Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman Timothy Green Matthew A. Siebert Joseph Gluck Nick Ord Duran Barnett Tom Painter Finbar Nicol Jameis Enright Mark Lux Dan Mayer Joe Crow Chris Finnick Toby Jungius Dave Hickman Aaron Lecluse Kieran Dashler Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm.
2: But you say they can't always be knocking them out of the park. The vast majority of these, except for the sequels, Toy
0: Story, Out of, the, the, park, out of the Park, Bugs Life, still a great film. Some people, like, I, I I occasionally see, like, lists on Pixar uh, on Twitter saying, what are your favourite Pixar films? Like, top three. And I see a Bugs Life in the top three. I'm like, you know, like, it's a good film, but you've got all the rest of them. <laughs> Why are bugs like... But it
2: is fantastic. It is a great film.
0: Yeah. But, like, you, you watch Kevin Spacey going, hey, I'm a compassionate insect, and you're like, this doesn't bother me at all. Uh, Toy Story 2, knocked it out of the park. Monsters, Inc., great film. Finding Nemo, stone-cold classic. Incredibles, great. Cars, amusing for the children. Ratatouille, Masterpiece. wall Masterpiece. Up. Great, Great film on opening. balance. Great <laughs> film on balance. Unbelievably emotional opening that is impossible to, keep to match. Uh, Toy Story 3, Masterpiece. Cars 2, rubbish just for little children. Brave. It's Pixar doing Disney, isn't it?
2: <laughs> I really, really like Brave. I do understand why a lot of people aren't keen, but I really like it.
0: I don't love it. But it's way better than The Good Dinosaur. Monsters University. Pish. Can't stand college kid movies. Hate them. Hate Animal House. Hate everything to do with that kind of thing. And uh, it, Monsters, Inc. was... Didn't need this. Inside Out, Masterpiece. And then you've got Good Dinosaur. Honestly, Good Dinosaur technically is better for me than, than Monsters, Inc. Uh, Monsters University, actually. I prefer it to Monsters, U. Because of the... Like, the, a couple of... Moments that we mentioned, and which Master 2 just doesn't bother with. Yeah. Like, I feel it was a more earnest endeavor than Cars 2, mm. which feels <laughs> I, 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 like
2: a cash in.
0: Yeah, and it's actually really troubling in that um, the. That the the villain is actually the one who wants to do away with uh, fossil fuels, and and the, you know, it's like, watch out for this alternative fuel, guys! Like seriously, that's the message you want to be putting out to the kids. Sharon's mouth's dropped open.
2: Oh my god! What you've just broken the good dinosaur. Humans can't develop their civilization because without billions of dead dinosaurs crushed in the earth to use as fuel.
0: Well, technically, we still do have billions of dead dinosaurs, the ancestors of these millions of years' worth of dinosaurs. Still crushed in the earth. It's, but...
2: Yeah, but it's the length of time they've been down there that's turned them into oil.
0: Well, like, the early ones would still be oil, wouldn't they? we would just get loads more dinosaurs.
2: Yes, yeah, but... Oh, OK, all right.
0: And also, if, if you're a subscriber to that particular theory, Dynaco, the oil company founded by dinosaurs digging up their relatives. Ew, Ew. gross! <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> That's the good dinosaur. I've been Alex Shaw.
2: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And School's School out. out. Land Before Time still on top. Boom, boom,
1: akka a Boom, boom, boom lack a boom